committing to self-love and committing to the self-love practice has transformed everything for me mm-hmm. and made my life so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and that again, it's a letting go, letting go of thinking there's some end goal of perfection in anything I do and just, uh, but loving myself in a human way. Um, that allows me to be human is so incredible. This is the Learn With Lels podcast. I'm Caitlin Jinko, also known as Lels. I believe that lifelong learning is so important. It allows us to keep improving ourselves and the world around us. And what better way to do that than to hear stories from people of all different walks of life. On the Learn With Lels podcast, I speak with people whom I think the world needs to hear from and with people whom I just think are interesting. We talk about their lives and the lessons they've been learning along the way. I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to listen. I hope you enjoy and that you keep on learning. Hi, everybody, and thank you for listening to episode 32 of the Learn With Lels podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Connie Subcheck, the founder and executive director of The Body Positive, a nonprofit organization that is helping people to love and listen to their bodies and themselves. In our conversation, Connie and I talked about how Connie's eating disorder and the loss of her sister led to her starting The Body Positive, the great work that the nonprofit does to help people embrace their uniqueness, how capitalism encourages us to reject our bodies and what we need to do to quiet those negative messages, the connection between activism and being body positive, and self-love and how it is the game changer that leads to fuller, happier, better lives. Talking with Connie felt like talking with a wise friend slash therapist, and I just feel that our world so needs everything that she and the body positive are doing. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did, and if you're looking for more, I highly recommend that you follow The Body Positive on social media and that you check out Connie's book, Embody, Learning to Love Your Body and Quiet That Critical Voice. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, For our listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Connie Subcheck and I am the co-founder of The Body Positive. I am also in the role of executive director right now, have been for 25 years. And The Body Positive is an organization that, I mean, ultimately our, our mission is to free people to live in their bodies with joy and love and to, um, yeah, have a positive relationship with food and movement and just really live their lives free from all of the crap that culture puts on us to look a certain way and be a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing this work because I had my own eating disorder when I was a teenager and um, my sister Stephanie also had an eating disorder and she ended up dying from complications from breast implants she got when she was in her early 20s plus the lifelong eating disorder so she was 36 when she died and um, at that time I had a one-year-old daughter Um, I had healed myself from my eating disorder when I was 21 and had developed a really beautiful relationship with my body and uh, peace a lot of peace with myself Um, And then I just got really scared that my daughter would somehow grow up having these issues just because that it was something that just happened. And so that's why 
I decided to change the world for her and um, that led to the body positive. And here we are 20, well, for me, 26 years later, I got the idea 26 years ago, we became a nonprofit 25 years ago this month. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you talked about how you started, but what kind of things are you doing now? Body positive. Oh, now. So we have wonderful trainings. Every All of our work is online. Um, our trainings are online. So um, yeah, I had a gut feeling in 2017 that everything needed to go online. And we finished mm-hmm. our, our project of doing that in fall of 2019, like three months before COVID. So mm-hmm. my gut instinct was spot on, which is something yeah, I just wow. want to say is what I learned and connected to after healing from my eating disorder, listening mm-hmm. to all source of information instead of just my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we train people to create body positive programs in their schools, communities. We work with um, therapists and dietitians and all sorts of treatment providers and wellness people and yoga instructors. And we have a wonderful curriculum that people can use with middle school students through adults and um, it's really culturally sensitive. And um, there's a lot of, um, work that we do with people around intersectional issues. And so we, we talk a lot about race and gender and how to work with all people. And what is beautiful about our work is that it is, um, it's not about us telling people how they should live their lives or what we think is right for them. It's just, we have this wonderful model that has five core competencies. And when people practice them and absorb them into their lives, um, they just have peace. And so it's about each person's unique body story. And um, each person is the expert of their own bodies. And so we're just opening people up to their wisdom and their um, intuition. And um, then also helping people find resources when there's obstacles to having peace. And Mm -hmm. um, so we have the full online facilitator training, but then we also have courses. People can just learn about our competencies through our fundamentals course online as well without having to become a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Cool. I yeah. love how it's so like individualized because I feel like right now in our society, it's so much like, and like through all the years, it's always been like one kind of body ideal. And then everyone's like trying to change their bodies to fit that current ideal. And it just, doesn't make sense because we're all different. Oh, it's so true. I mean, I think that that's the sad thing that I see. And I was there when I was a teenager. I obviously was there. I had um, bulimia and wanted to be tall and thin and I'm not tall. And um, I am, you know, I'm sort of average and had very strong, thick thighs and a round butt that stuck out and got teased a lot about it. And so I hated my body for that and really you know, I feel like I wanted to eradicate my thighs. I mean, it was really my mission in life during my teenage years. And it's so sad. I mean, it's just so sad that that was all I thought about. And uh, as I got through my own eating disorder, and, you know, started to really appreciate my own body. One of the things that came up and one of the things we teach with the body positive is connecting to our ancestors and really honoring our ancestors and who we come from, even if we don't know them or we make them up or we make up the people that we want to be our ancestors and we connect with others outside of ourselves. And so it really takes, I think the focus off of who am I and what I look like so much as just me, but who do I come from and who are all the people and back to the first human and connecting us all. I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful and profound and it, it helps a lot with 
allowing each one of us to be individual and unique and see beauty and diversity. I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so for that. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that you were able to overcome your eating, your eating disorder when you were younger. Um, how were you able to manage to figure out how to embrace your body and, and to beat that? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, at the time, so I'm 60 years old now. And at the time, it was the late 1970s. It was 1981, actually, when I really started to decide to heal. And um, it came from getting to the point where I really felt suicidal. I didn't want to be here. I was, I had been away for a month and was free from the bulimic behaviors. And when I got home, they started up again and I was so depressed. I just couldn't stand the thought of living like that. And so I, um, I first, the first thing I did was I told my mom and I had been struggling with it for six years and I had told no one that cared about me. My friends all were bulimic as well. And it was a very normalized behavior for us. There was no word for it even. And so it was just sort of something we did. And, um, so when I got to the point of not, yeah, really feeling scared about my life, um, I told my mom and I had a really interesting experience where I had a couple dreams where I actually tried to kill myself and didn't. And then my mom happened to call me and I had forgotten the dreams. And then she said, I think you're trying to kill yourself. And I just went, oh my God, I am. You're right. And so like, it was this wake up call and and it was like, oh my God, I really want to live. I want to live, but this way I'm here now is not working for me. And so I reached inside for the my spark of life force and just said, I'm going to heal. And so then what I had to do was I had to break up with my partner who would poke my thighs, tell me I was soft. I should go for a run. We'd been together for four years. That person was definitely part of my eating disorder. I uh, changed my friend group. I started hanging out with people at my work. I was working in a restaurant in Oakland, California, and this really diverse, beautiful group of people. And so I started spending more time with different people. And um, my old friend group that was all part of diet culture, I kind of just moved away from them and people who expected me to be a certain way. And that was really probably the biggest difference, I think, those two things. And then I just each day I would allow myself to recognize that I had value outside of the way I looked. And when I had those anxious moments, I would go for a walk and I would connect with my, the flowers and the gardens in my neighborhood and see my reflection based on what I saw rather than just what I saw in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And just with day by day practice and being around people who loved me for who I was, it just sort of slowly slipped away. And then I, after that, then I went to therapy. So I um, did all that on my own. And then um, I was really fortunate to work with a feminist therapist for about a year. And that's when I really was able to get angry at the cultural context. She gave me an awareness of what was going on in the world. It wasn't just about me. And so then I, really got, you know, that anger fueled me to really want to be well also that why is this happening? And at, you know, at the time it was mostly girls and women. Now I feel like it's all genders and mm-hmm. little children. And I mean, it's just so sad, <sighs> but um, yeah. So I just really got mad and started living from this place of this is my life and I'm going to express myself and this is who I am and spent a lot of time finding about my soul again where it was and where it had gone and yeah and here we are mm-hmm. Great. almost 40 years later yeah mm-hmm. 
So if someone is going through right now what you were going through um, years ago and dealing with an eating disorder, what kind of things would you recommend that they do to, to help heal themselves? I think the first step is to recognize and acknowledge that you have value and purpose here and to look around, to explore your body story. This is something we do through our fundamentals course. And also in my book, I have a book called Embody, Learning to Love Your Unique Body and Quiet That Critical Voice. And so there's a lot of activities in there. And just start from this place of, I deserve help. I deserve to have self-love. It's worth it. It's worth it to be here. We can bring joy. I believe fully that 100% freedom from our eating disorders is possible. It doesn't mean our personalities change overnight. If you have perfectionist tendencies, they might still be there in other ways, but that's where self-love comes in. And, And then to say, I'm willing to reach out for help and then to look at the different things. I think just being really thoughtful about if you're finding a therapist to find one who's weight weight inclusive and isn't focused on weight as much as healing from this place of intuition and connection with our bodies. Mm -hmm. But it's really about starting with I'm, I as a human being have value and purpose and I'm willing and I commit to myself. I am willing to find out who I am and why I'm here Mm -hmm. and what my life is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I feel like that self worth bit is so huge. Um, And understanding that your self-worth like you have it now like you don't have to do anything in order to get it I think that's something that I have struggled with big time like before I used to have like a pretty significant binge eating problem like Mm. from like when I woke up in the morning until like 7 p.m. I would eat like so restrictively and then um, my goal was just to eat perfectly every single day. And then come like seven o'clock, I would be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Like I can't take this anymore. And then I would eat everything in sight. And then I did that for years and years. Um, but interestingly, the way I broke out of that was, I was like, I can't live like this anymore. So I'm just like going to eat whatever, like I don't care. And if I just like get really big, then whatever, like at least I'll be, happier and not being so controlled by food and funnily enough like in in like getting rid of those hardcore restrictions not that the goal is to lose weight but I ended up actually losing weight instead of gaining weight like I expected to so yeah it was interesting (laughs) how it all worked so that's a beautiful story about listening to intuition and mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of struggle in the world or in conflict around intuitive eating and that not, it's not for everybody, but if you're not naming it or labeling it, um, and yes, lots of people have obstacles to listening to their bodies, but what you were doing was saying, I'm going to listen to what I want. And yes, maybe it starts with, you know, all those restricted foods that they, we might eat more of them or, you know, crave things, certain things, if there's been a lot of restriction, but that's ultimately what it is. If I eat what I want, when I want it, basically then my body starts to regulate and I can have anything I want. So therefore I don't have cravings like I had before. Mm-hmm. And there isn't the need for too much because we're satisfied because we know we can have more later. Yeah. 
And yeah, so you just true. get to that. And that's the whole beautiful piece around trusting our bodies mm-hmm. that if I let, and that was what I did was like, okay, I can have anything I want when I want it. And I started dating someone and we would go out for meals and it was so joyful and we would have these wonderful conversations and we would talk about food and I was learning about new foods and it was really fun. And then I would have that moment of like, Oh my God, I have food in me. And then I would just sit there and allow that, that anxiety to pass. And then it was just started to become normalized to be able to eat food like that and, mm-hmm. and to have pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure yeah. With food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. don't have to over or under eat. And sometimes we might, and sometimes we don't get quite enough and sometimes we get a little too much and, but it's not like that extremes, the extremes go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first little while after I was like, I'm going to eat everything. I was still a little bit, um, like controlled by eating, but then just as time went on, it's the balance uh, kind of figured itself out, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's so wonderful when we get that piece done with, mm-hmm. because then we just get to live and then life isn't perfect and it's hard still. And there's lots of things that happen, but there's just so much more space to do what we want to do with our lives and mm-hmm. to express ourselves and, and be in the world with people. It's, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And imagine, imagine like everyone, if everyone were free of this and everyone could just eat and stop eating and enjoy food and get mm-hmm. help if they need help and get through this, that how much energy and power there would be mm-hmm. in the world to put towards healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about like all the years that I spent being so obsessed and like the plate, like I would go on vacation and like not fully enjoy like the food of the country that I was in because I would feel guilty. And just looking back, it's like, oh, that was such a waste. (laughs) Which brings up another piece around healing, which is grief. We have to grieve. Mm -hmm. So I grieved the years that I lost to my eating disorder. And for me, a lot of it too was around my education. I was um, headed into a career in engineering and I was really excited about it. And it was at a time when Silicon Valley was just forming and I was all ready to, you know, go in and be part of that in the early days of it. And I just kept dropping out of school because of my eating disorder. And I didn't understand it because I didn't even know what was wrong with me. And so finally, when I, when I started to realize something was actually wrong with me, I kept, cause I kept dropping out thinking it was my major. So I just kept going back and changing my major and changing my major. And then I had to leave and heal. And I went back to a different university, but it wasn't the same caliber as the one I had been at. And I got a degree in psychology, uh, but it just, everything was really easy. It wasn't, it wasn't challenging and it wasn't the education that I could have had yet. I'm glad I'm not an engineer. I'm really happy doing the work I do and love working with college students now because I get to help them be free and, and get to have their education. And this was meant to be my life. And yet I grieve for that experience that I could have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that is an important part of being able to move forward. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. sure is. Um, so with it being the new year and a lot of people um, are coming up with new year's resolutions. And I feel like a lot of people are coming up with ones that are related to their body. Like it's so common right now for people to be starting new diets and be focusing on losing weight and um, exercising more, um, which I know can bring up a lot of issues surrounding self-worth if they don't achieve their goals. Um, so what would you say to people who are struggling with these kinds of feelings right now? Yeah, I think it's just, it's, 
like break out of what everybody's doing. I mean, I think that's part of it too. When I talk to even seventh graders, I, one of my things is you can follow what everybody's doing, or you can choose to have your own life and you can choose to live uh, a different way. And it's so easy to get caught up in that. I need to fix my body because that's going to make me happy. And I need to lose weight because of the holidays or because of COVID or this or that. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It, it might work for a while, but it's, it's not sustainable. Just like you were saying, you didn't eat all day and then you were ravenous and the body naturally then wants craves and physiologically craves food. And then we binge because we have to binge as opposed to how much restriction there is. And so, yes, it's wonderful to think about our health and to, I mean, I don't make resolutions. I do love this sort of, Oh, it's a new year. And I, find a word for myself, my word this year is structure. So I can, I have so much work in my plate. Um, and a lot in my life, I'm also caring for my mom that, um, you know, I need, I need structure in my life. So that's what I'm focusing on. That's my intention, but it's not about beating myself up if I don't create structure in my life, but the body stuff just if you haven't been moving a lot, maybe start moving a little bit more and see what that feels like. Do things that have joy in them. Exercise, yes, it feels good to move. And sometimes we don't want to, but we sort of, you know, prod ourselves and get out the door and go for a walk or uh, go for a run or something. Or, I mean, these days with COVID, it's a little hard to get to gyms, but mm -hmm. um, to just to move, it feels good to move. And so to bring more movement in and have that be an intention, I would like to have more movement in my life. Then that helps also the, the mental state and then we feel better and then there's more endorphins. And I would like to be thoughtful about, you know, what I'm putting, I, I like for me, a, um, an intention for people who are working on their bodies is let go of guilt around food. And like you were saying, like the guilt piece, it doesn't help. And so listen, my intuition is telling me this is what I need and learn about what it means to listen to our bodies, gather resources, what is intuitive eating. Those are the kinds of things that I would suggest because I'm not saying that just letting go means, oh, I don't care what I put in my body or I'm never gonna move. That's not what this is about at all. We want to care for ourselves, but we want to do it from a place of self-love. So also adding that piece in as an intention, I will care for myself with more love instead of thinking something's wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'll learn about my ancestors and who I come from and my body type. And I will have my best health and, and have as much joy as I can living in this body that was given to me. Mm -hmm. So the best thing is kind of just to have overall good intentions as far as moving and, and feeding your body what it needs. Yeah, but and not just like I'm doing this because the calendar turned to January 1, but it's like this is something I want in my life. And what we're looking for, and the sad part about diet culture is that people go on diets and they lose weight and then they gain it back and then they lose weight again and then they gain it back and then they feel like failures. And it's just this cycle of it's a downward spiral and it makes each person feel horrible about themselves, number one, it doesn't work. And it makes people less healthy overall and over mm -hmm. time. And so what we're looking for is how do I want to live my life for the long term? How do I want to create lifestyle habits that feel good to me? How do I want to get the support I need if I don't know how to do that? And how can I create 
a peaceful relationship with food and movement that has pleasure in it because pleasure is actually a wonderful indicator of you know how we're doing in life so if i'm exercising too much and my body hurts that's not pleasurable if i'm overeating that's not pleasurable because i feel sick um if i'm under eating it's not pleasurable because i feel sick and my body hurts and so so we're looking for that thing of like ah oh yeah that feels good mm-hmm. And that's what we should be here for. I have a dead sister. She died because she hated her body. She was 36 years old. That's a waste. And I know so many people, one of my close friends, I met her because her daughter died when she was 21 from bulimia and had a heart attack. And that's a waste. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so what do you want from your life is my question. Do you want to be obsessed? And I'm not saying that those extremes will happen, but you're alive, you know, remember you're alive and yeah, life isn't easy. And, and it's easy to um, turn on ourselves when that's happening, but look at the context around you, look at what's happening around you and why are you turning on yourself? Why do you think something's wrong with you? Where did you get that message that you're fundamentally flawed because of how you look? And then if you can find that place of, Oh, I'm a person, I have a life now, how do I want to care for myself and then see where my body ends up and, you know, and then our bodies change over time. I'm aging now, you know, and I, my body's changed a lot. And it was hard for a while. And, and I, you know, we go through transitions in those changes. And now I feel I'm really accepting kind of this older person inside of me. And that wasn't easy. I'm not going to pretend it was. But again, I'm here and I don't want to waste my time thinking mm-hmm. something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll pick at myself from time to time and then I stop and then I come back to like, oh yeah, okay, let's, you know, move on. Mm-hmm. What do you think our society needs to do to prevent us from thinking that we need to fix ourselves? Like what, what's the root issue that we need to address and how do we do it? Well, let's start with capitalism and how (laughs) people make money off of us not liking ourselves and thinking that we're Mm -hmm. ugly or thinking that we're this or that and we have to change ourselves or the clothes are wrong or this is wrong and that's wrong or I need a house or I need a this and I need, 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 need in order to be accepted and loved. And we're on that hamster wheel of just like more, 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 or in terms of our bodies, less, less, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so pay attention to that. So we can't, I don't, I mean, like one person, I can't stop capitalism from putting it out there. But here, I do things like when I'm in the grocery store and I see a magazine that's all about dieting, which of course, at this point, I don't go as much often, you know, it's once every two weeks now because of COVID, mm-hmm. but um, I cover them up with food magazines or political magazines <laughs> and I don't I destroy it. property. I just cover them up because I, I don't want to look at that while I'm shopping for food. And it's mm-hmm. like, diet, lose my belly, lose my ass. You know, I like my ass. <laughs> I like my belly. I need them. I need them. And, mm-hmm. and they they give me pleasure too. So, um, you know, we can That's make amazing. little changes. <laughs> I know it's really fun. And then I get in <laughs> conversations with people like, what are you doing? I get to tell them all about what I do. And then they feel better when they leave the store. Mm, and I give awesome. a little bit of education wherever I am. Mm-hmm. But I, um, you know, I think that what it comes down to is we break the isolation and that's what the body positive does through our courses online and through our Facebook group and through all this is we're breaking isolation. So people don't feel alone in that. I hate my body and I think something's wrong with me. I just did a uh, online workshop for um, teens and um, college students and they 
told me afterwards that they had never had a conversation with anybody that was positive about their bodies in a situation like this, where we could talk about positive things about ourselves and connect through this place of, yes, we've suffered and here we are now and to have this joyful. And one of them wrote to me afterwards to say that she could actually see more light coming through zoom on the, in the people's faces and everybody was lit and everybody looked different Mm -hmm. because of spending this time focusing on the beauty in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And beauty, not in the cultural definition of it, but beauty as unique individuals who are here connected with each other. Like my reflection is you right now. And like your, you know, amazing energy coming through. That's not <laughs> what I look like in a mirror, right? It's this connection that we're having. That's what beauty is. Mm-hmm. And so we see beauty in a different way. So that's what I love about the body positive is this connecting with others and breaking isolation. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how we change it. We just do it one by one as many times as we can. And we get more facilitators in the world and then they go out and they share the message. And to me, that's how I see us changing the world. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's so interesting. When I think back at like the conversations that I have with my friends, like we've never really like sat down and talk about, talked about like what's good about our bodies. Like if anything, it's been like the, the changes that we want to make. It's never really been what's good. Yeah, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So well, that's one of the th- reasons I wrote my book was so people, because there's at the end of each chapter, which is on each of our competencies, um, which I'll tell you after, I'll just name them for you. But um, at the end of each chapter, there's there's a group activity. So if you're in a reading group oh. or if you're with friends and you can do this activity together where that can be a different kind of conversation. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the competencies that we teach, the first is reclaim health. So that's the, what I was talking about. Just honoring that we're the experts of our own bodies and learning about our ancestors and, and looking at health at every size as a different way to think about health practice intuitive self-care, which is the listening piece, the deep listening. What do I want getting as close as I can to that? And then how do I feel? So that feedback loop of always learning from each experience, the trial and error of whether it's food or movement or relationships or jobs or whatever it is. Um, And then the only way to really live through trial and error is when we cultivate self-love, which is our third competency, because we don't beat ourselves up when things don't go well. We just learn from it and we're kind to ourselves. Um, Declare your own authentic beauty is the fourth. And that's, again, coming back to our ancestors and who do we come from or what, you know, how do we create that that family that we have in our lives um, that, you know, supports us if our own families don't. And then build community, which is the breaking isolation part and connecting with people in this positive way. And it doesn't mean we don't talk about the struggles. We do talk about the struggles, but we're there for each other. And we remind people who we are and keep bringing everybody back to their own hearts and their souls Mm -hmm. and their own unique, beautiful, amazing bodies. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds great. I need to buy it and read it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then the fundamentals course online is is, um, just quick way to, to get through it too. And, and Elizabeth, my colleague and I do videos and we have videos of other people who have been through the, the program talking about their experiences with it. And there's a lot of worksheets that are fun to do. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just did a TEDx talk that's going to come out soon. So oh, I will cool. let you know when that happened. Yeah. It, um, I recorded it in November, but it's all about self-love and it's about, mm-hmm. uh, embracing our critical voices um, mm-hmm. as the gateway to self-love and how can we 
recognize that these critical voices inside of us are just the scared parts of us that are trying to perfect us um, mm -hmm. so they can protect us. And how can we be kind with them? And how can, when our critical voice comes up, instead of trying to push it away, how can we turn to that part of ourselves and find out what's going on and help them relax mm -hmm. so they can stop being so cruel <laughs> and then we can move on with our lives. Mm, that's so interesting. I feel like that's so applicable in my life right now and mm -hmm. everything that you're talking about with your book, um, Embody. Because uh, in my last therapy session, um, my therapist and I were talking about how like, I understand like most of the things surrounding self-worth and like I, I follow so many good accounts, like the body positive, and I'm always like consuming, um, consuming content about, about self-worth and self-love, but I still feel that I struggle to fully embody all of that like I can regurgitate the information and I believe in it but then so many times throughout the day I'm like I'm I'm better as far as eating but I can still pick out like a ton of other ways that I need to improve and like oh I wish my skin were clearer or I wish I were more this or that so um how does one asking for myself here <laughs> embody all of this practice all this, yeah. so it's a, it's it's not there's no just to know that there's no you're not doing it wrong if the critical voice comes up you're not doing anything wrong it's part of life it's just what do we do in those moments and so i just want to say i had gotten over my eating disorder when i was in my early 20s and yet self i was great with my body but i was so mean to myself about other things a lot around communication and what i was doing with my life and all these different things and i was so hard on myself and it took me until i started the body positive and started working with teen girls when i realized oh my god i'm so mean to myself still and i said it out loud because in the beginning we worked with just teen girls and now we work with all ages and all genders and everything but i just remember being in this group and saying out loud i am needing to do work on my self-love so then it was practice and now decades later uh it it's in there but it's taken a long time and and what i've learned recently and i do believe that part of it is age it's easier when you get older life is just you know there's this acceptance sort of but um I always talk with my young friends about, you can do this now. You don't have to wait till you're my age and please don't. I mean, get the self-love piece now because life is so much better. <laughs> and so it's practice, but it really is always turning to that critical voice. And what I do and what I talk about in the TEDx talk is I see it as a child. And so for me, I see it as a young child. Sometimes it's like a little tantruming four-year-old. Sometimes it feels like my 11-year-old wounded self that got really hurt by a friend. And so I go to her and, I, and I'm with her and I pick her up and I hold her and I just say, hi, fear. It's just fear, fear, fear is an energy. Okay, fear is happening right now, but I'm not gonna let you beat me up over it, you know, this thing, but I'm gonna talk to you about what's going on that's making you think that perfecting me in this way is gonna make things better. And usually there's some stimulus from the environment like someone said something to me or um, I got rejected you know through the nonprofit with a grant proposal or something like there's some something's happened and I'm turning that that little voice inside of me is like come on be better be better be better be better be better and then you'll be okay and everyone will love you and life will be good and so helping her calm 
is really what I do sometimes. And sometimes all I have to do is just like, oh, yeah, that's just fear. Oh, I fear. I fear. <laughs> I hear you. I'm here for you. Now you can quiet. You can go lie down or you can go play. I got this covered. I'm, we're okay. And sometimes I have to explain to her where I am in my life now. And especially the adolescent self who gets scared and starts yelling at me. It's like, yeah, we're all right. We've been through some stuff and yeah, people were mean and it was really hard, but here we are and look at all the good that's happened. Mm-hmm. So practice and also talking to your feelings as if they're like a separate thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when the critical voice comes up, it's a mindfulness bell. It's a wake up call. Like what's going on? Oh, I've just absorbed the capitalist culture. I was just talking about like, I just saw all these messages that said, if you're thin, if you're, you know, all this stuff and rich and white and blah, 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 and young and this and all the things that we think we're, you know, that have power, right? They do have power in our society. So looking at that and looking at systemic racism and systemic, you know, homophobia and all of these things that cause us to, you know, they're inside of us. And so, but naming, looking, and then saying, I choose now to say no thank you i choose to go through the discomfort of sitting here and then letting go (sighs) all right here i am now i'm back here i am okay i'm back and then when it comes up again like doing that process again and but using the critical voice as a mindfulness bell Mm -hmm. to stop and take take note but instead of letting it just run and think that it has truth in it it doesn't have truth in it Mm -hmm. It's just a message to wake up to why we're suffering. Mm -hmm. So look at that critical voice as an alarm bell to be more mindful. Yeah. And then what's causing you to attack yourself in that moment? And why, where are the messages coming from that tell you you're supposed to have clearer skin or have this or that and see what it's all about and, and then start searching for your own beauty. And like, for me, you know, later on, it was searching for my beauty as a human being and the kindness in me and the, the desire to do good in the world. And, you know, but how that voice inside of me was so sure I was always going to be rejected because I had been rejected in very brutal ways and I'd had some really mean friends and stuff happen. And it's like, okay, this is why I'm coming back to my heart, my heart, my heart has really good intentions. doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes. My heart has good intentions. And then remembering like, yeah, our critical voices want to perfect us in order to perfect us, to protect us. And so how can we protect ourselves without this weird internalized voice yelling at us, you know, when you stop and think about it, it's like, how is that helpful? That doesn't feel protective to me. Mm-hmm. And then find out the quality of what that fear is about. So sometimes for me, like I'll find out, oh, I'm really needing like to be calm right now, you know, and I do this practice and it's in the book of getting to this place of what is the actual quality that my critical voice is wanting in its misguided way and bringing it down into, oh, I need calm or I need to feel validated right now, or I need to feel beautiful right now. And how can I then seek that out in my life and let that be my mantra and and, um, really spend time consciously trying to bring that in. And that tends to also help quiet the voices. Mm -hmm. 
I love all that. I feel like I'm in a therapy session right now, which is great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. This is what we're supposed to do with each other, right? Yeah. This is what life is about is connecting with each other in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. We'll suffer. You know, it's not, that's inevitable. That's part of the human condition. How can we limit the time of our self-created suffering? Um, suffering happens with loss it happens with all sorts of things that we can't control but how can we be kind to ourselves and limit the amount of suffering that we create for ourselves or and when it starts just be like instead of like oh I'm so mad at myself because I did that again like oh hello oh and laugh you know laugh at yourself oh god I did it again (laughs) like I just did it this morning in a meeting you know and I could feel myself doing this whole thing that's a pattern and I was like Afterwards, I got off the phone and um, you know, it's just like, okay, back to center. All right. Okay. Back to center. Here I go. But not like carry that through the rest of my day or be mad at myself for having gotten off center. Mm-hmm. So trying to decrease the, the suffering that you're putting on yourself. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. your life is valuable. It's precious. Mm-hmm. And especially, I, I'm assuming your listeners are mostly young and, and, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And it's not easy. Life is not easy. And I think that's fairy tales and fantasies that if we can just fill in the blank, then it will all be easy. And I'll never, you know, and it's like, I can maintain that or I'll get balanced. You know, that's another thing. Like, I'm going to just be in balance, like between work and rest or all these things, you know, or with the way I eat and exercise and balance includes imbalance there's a lot of getting out of balance and we just get back to balance and we just remember and we get back in balance and then we get out of balance again and then we remember and you know and it's like this fluid thing but when we're kind to ourselves about it and have a lot of humor about the human condition it's a lot easier so many things to remember and to to practice (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah, looking at the body positive um, and your and your social media and everything that you're doing, um, it seems like social justice and combating racism are all a big part of of your work. Um, yes. And um, I saw on your site a couple of posts about how self love supports social justice and being truly body positive also means being anti racist. Um, so can you talk about what the connection is between self love and activism? Yes. Yeah. So starting with, I believe, how we are with ourselves is how we are in the world. Uh, So loving ourselves, we start with ourselves, we start with our love for ourselves. And then it's really hard to not have love for others when we love ourselves. There's just so much. It's like talking with parents who say, oh, I'm having a second child. I hope I can love it as much. And then when the child is born, saying, oh my God, I had no idea how much capacity for love I had. Mm-hmm. And so for me personally, with my journey, it's um, the more love I have for myself, the more I am um, capable of giving that to the world. And then also have no tolerance for injustice, I think, because when I see the things that happen and that are done out of hatred or fear, ultimately, um, I have to do something. And so I do what I can in my own personal life and then get involved in the way I can. And so in our terms of the body positive, it's, uh, yeah, doing what we can in any way possible to 
bring out the voices and, and give our materials and create spaces for people who are marginalized and um, discriminated against to have a voice and to have be heard and listened to in a brave, you know, safe as we can space. And to mm -hmm. me, that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Like to be able to help others. Um, if you love yourself first, then you'll have the energy to be able to, to spread that. Yeah, loving ourselves gives us more energy, number one. I mean, not loving ourselves and all the critical stuff, it's, it zaps energy. So, mm -hmm. yes, and, and do it at the same time. You're going to get love from other, you know, it's, it's not like I have to love myself perfectly before then I can be an activist because that's not going to happen. Self-love is not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so letting go of that, but committing to kindness towards ourselves, um, then we can see how that can then be reflected out and in our actions. Mm -hmm. And because I believe that so much is in our daily actions and in our moment to moment actions. And it's what we do, not just on the grand scale to be activists, but we are activists every moment of our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember I, I went to a um, seven day um, uh, love, mindfulness, loving kindness, um, meditation retreat, silent retreat, but I had a chance to talk to the monk who was from Burma. And I just remember saying, how do I take this into my life? I mean, here I am in this environment where everything has rules and, you know, the precepts and you're following everything. And how do I do this in my life? I have a partner, I'm going to have sex, you know, I'm going to probably drink, I'm going to eat after noon and, you know, all these things. And, and he said, your life is your meditation. And so just holding that meditation in every single thing that you do all day long, impossible, obviously, to do it perfectly. Um, but I've never forgotten that. Mm -hmm. And so in all that I do, I bring that mindfulness, I bring that loving kindness, and it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I see that also in our activism work, that we mm -hmm. do the bigger things that we can, and then yet we live our lives as activists in how we present ourselves and, and our role models to others. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you mentioned um, the silent retreats because I've, I've heard about them before um, a few times. And then I told myself, okay, if I hear just in my regular life, someone bring up a silent retreat again, I, I, I'm going to look into it. So you've just brought it up. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I better look into doing one. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I did mine when I was 29 and I thought I was going to go, go, you know, just lose it completely because mm -hmm. it was really hard for me yeah. at first. And I'm, someone who talks I like to talk and uh, especially then <laughs> now I really like silence which is interesting <laughs> that's another age thing um, but I I did it and it changed me mm -hmm. and it was fascinating because I used the skills that I got there uh, along with I used to do body work and massage I did this very interesting type of body work that was all about emotional release and helping people through the body bring out all the stuff so kind of a therapist and uh, so the meditation the mindfulness work um, mostly that I can get through anything and through that like I can't do this anymore and then okay one more step, especially this walking meditation, like one step, you know, I thought I, and I have to do this for an hour. I was moving so slowly and I just thought I can't do this. And then I would just focus on it. And then an hour would go by, but I used it when I gave birth to my daughter, which was really oh. beautiful. It's just being 
in that place of this getting through every contraction, getting through the pain. I just kept remembering that I could do it. It was really mm-hmm. fun. Mm, cool. Uh, I'll have to look into it now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who are listening to this podcast, what would you say is the key takeaway that you want them to leave with in order to live more body positive lives? Hmm. Well, let me just first of all define body positive in terms of how we define body positive because there's so many definitions out there. So body positive is is living your own life. You are included. There's no it's for some people and not for others, or you have to be a this or a that. Body positive means, and it doesn't mean you're positive all the time. It means that life is life and that you are willing to say, this is me, this is my life. And I commit to having as much joy and fun uh, and freedom as I can, because that's my birthright. And I don't want to regret when I get to my deathbed that I look back and say, I missed out on something because I was so mean to myself. So one of the things that I talk about is we can have self-love and then we can work on acceptance. And a lot of people do it the other way, like body neutrality is like, I'll be sort of accepting of my body and neutral with it, but I won't get to that love place. And for me, it's the opposite. I love my body because it gives me life. I'm so grateful that I have life. I really am happy that I have life and for so many reasons. And yet some days I'm working on acceptance of my changing body at at 60 and and all the messages have gotten in and my body's changing rapidly and it's scary sometimes. And so the acceptance piece I then have to practice. Um, So I think that it's really important to think about what it means to love ourselves, that it's not perfect, but it's this wrapping around of arms, you know, like that, maybe we didn't have it in our parent, but imagining like the most unconditionally loving person in the entire universe is wrapping their arms around you and saying, I see you. I see you. No change is necessary, nothing to do. I'm here and I see you and I love you. And it's going to be okay. And that's what I think of as self-love. That's what self-love is for me. And I can fight against it, you know, which means my critical voice is still acting up. But overall, I can um, sink into that, like, yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, and I'm held. And I do that for myself, but it feels bigger than me. It feels like there's something there that allows me to really settle into what it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's what we are. Yeah, we're here as humans, and it's really hard to be human. Mm -hmm. We have these bodies that, I mean, I watch the squirrels in my in my backyard, and they just do what they do. You know, they don't fuss about it. In the winter, they put on a lot of weight, and they, you know, get slow down. And then when the sun comes out, you know, they're more active. In the fall, they go and scurry around for food and build their nests and. And I just watch how they just do stuff. But we have these brains that kind of get in the way sometimes of Mm -hmm. just natural self-care, right? And all the weird foods and all the processed stuff and all that, you know, whatever it is. And it's all fine. It's just that we've gotten so far away from the earth. And Mm -hmm. how do we then find that place in between all of that as humans and and have a good time while we're here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the goal. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being unkind to ourselves doesn't, isn't fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. 
Okay, cool. I just have uh, two more questions that I ask everybody. Um, okay. So as I was saying, I, I like to focus on learning. Um, so the first question in re regards to learning is what is something that you've been learning lately? And it can be about uh, what we've been talking about or just anything in life. <laughs> what have I been learning lately? Well, for me, I've been learning. So my mom is 93 and lives with us. And my mom has been really close to me always, you know, especially um, like, yeah, like from my late 20s on, we just really became so close and she's changing. Um, and so um, I'm learning patience. I'm learning also to let go of needing things to be the way I think I want them to be. Mm -hmm. And those are the two main things I'm learning right now. And I think probably COVID is causing a lot of need for patience and letting go as well. But I'm mm -hmm. also being with my mom in her changing rapidly, her brain changing um, and learning about patience. Mm -hmm. oh, those are good ones. And letting go. And yeah, those are big ones. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last question is, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned in life so far? Mm. Well, I think it's everything we've been talking about, uh, just how being kind to myself and having this and doing and committing to self-love and committing to the self-love practice has transformed everything for me mm -hmm. and made my life so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and that, again, it's a letting go, letting go of thinking there's some end goal of perfection in anything I do and just, uh, but loving myself in a human way um, mm -hmm. that allows me to be human is so incredible. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest lesson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being How on about my you? podcast. How about you? How about you? Can I ask you? Oh, hmm. I don't know. Um, I think I would say, at least up until this point, um, that for me, I feel like the most important thing is to be authentic to myself. Because um, mm -hmm. I feel like for so long, I've been trying to, like, be the daughter that my parents want, or like the friend that my friends want, or like, the sister that my sisters want. And um, I'm realizing that that's not what will make me happy. And what will make me happy is if I'm just being myself and in being myself, my parents who have been trying to please will be happy. Like not that that should be the goal, but I mean like if I am living authentically um, as myself, then, then they'll be, then they'll be okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that is freedom. Mm -hmm. And when we can do that and it's scary sometimes to do that and yet it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way people respond to authentic people is really incredible. Mm -hmm. and it's, um, some people don't like it, but others just, you know, it's like, ah, you're a breath of fresh air mm -hmm. yeah, and a safe place to, for people to come to. Mm -hmm. I hope so. <laughs> it's true. That's what I've been doing my whole, yeah. I used to, and I think that's part of it. And I don't know if it's connected with people who have eating problems and I'd be curious, but um, thinking 
yeah, when I just got to be myself, because I'm kind of quirky, <laughs> as you might have figured out already, <laughs> but I've lived a kind of weird life and quirky life, and I was so wanting other people to give me their approval for a long time, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's nice to not feel that and to recognize that whatever my quirkiness is and my authentic self is in the world is what the world needs, mm-hmm. and it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And people will not like me and others will love me. And so to just have it be about how I feel about myself mm-hmm. is what's most important. Yeah, 100%. That's definitely what my focus has been on, at least for the past few years. And it's going yeah. well so far. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's such an honor to know you. I love oh, this Thank connection. you. You too. I'm really happy. You made my day. 